Our reading today comes from John 20, verses 1 through 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize who it was, that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the Lenten season, we've been in the middle of a series called Crossroads, journey points or intersections on the way to the cross. On Friday night, we walked into the sanctuary and we celebrated a death, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And today we walk into this sanctuary to celebrate a life, a life that came from death eternal life that is the only life that came from any death. It's a remarkable story, but it's a story not just of history. It's a story of faith. By the way, one of the great privileges I have and have had for more than 20 years now is to listen to people's stories. There's lots of things that I enjoy about my job. But stories, well, they're remarkable. Each one of them's unique. Each one of them has its, its own DNA. They're all different, but so many of the stories are very, very similar. Of course, I mean the stories of faith that I hear. I hear stories of faith of people who came to faith in Jesus Christ and how that journey to that moment of faith happened. 
And then I hear stories of people who have come to that faith in Jesus Christ and the way in which that faith has sustained them in their walk with Christ, in their journey of faith. They're remarkable stories, every one of them unique. I want to remind you of three stories this morning. You know the people. Well, you haven't met them, but you know their names. The first story is the story of Peter. You know Peter. Peter, that lovable, big, uproarious disciple. The one who had all the answers. The one who also had foot-in-the-mouth disease, right? He always spoke when he shouldn't have spoken. He always spoke things he shouldn't have said. He was out of place, out of time, boisterous, loud always, but full of heart. As a matter of fact, on one occasion, when Jesus was talking about his impending death, Peter did what many of us would have thought to do, but might not have had the courage to do. And Peter stepped right into the middle of the, con of the conversation and said, Lord, no, don't talk like that. It can't happen to you. That's Peter. And Jesus looked at him and he said, get behind me, Satan. What a rebuke. You would think after that, Peter would be a little bit more circumspect, right? That he wouldn't say so many things that were in his head and popped right out of his mouth. But no, it didn't slow him down. He continued to be the same person. On one occasion when the disciples were gathered together, Jesus said to them, I want to tell you trouble is coming for me, and trouble is coming for you, and you're all going to leave me. And Peter said, maybe the rest of them, Lord, but not me. I will never deny you, Lord. And the Lord said to Peter, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Peter, again, full of bravado, full of all the right answers. And on that night that Jesus predicted, Peter is huddled around a fire with other people while Jesus is being tried and sentenced to death. And he's questioned three different times about his identity. Three different times. Aren't you the one that's associated with Nazarene, this man? And Peter three different times said, no, it's not me. And on the third time, he said it with curses. And just as he said it the last time, with curses in his mouth, the rooster crowed. And he looked. And Jesus was looking at him. Can you imagine that look? The look of your Lord and Savior who told you, you don't have what it takes. You're going to deny me. When Peter saw his face, he turned and went out into the night and wept bitterly. You know, that's not the end of Peter's story. Peter has gathered with the disciples after Jesus is raised from the dead. In one of those resurrection appearances to the disciples, he says to the disciples, not exactly in these words, but this is what happened. He said to all the disciples standing around, we all know what Peter did. 
As a matter of fact, I know what he did, you know what he did, and soon the whole world's going to know what he did. But in spite of that, Peter, I want to reinstate you. I want to call you back to me. Peter, I want you to be the rock that is the shepherd of my people. Peter, I want you to feed my sheep. Yes, I know what you did. Let's move on. It's as though Peter looks at Jesus and perhaps he realizes for the first time all my misery and all my failure is a part of my story. And Jesus is using my misery and my failure and my denial to shepherd his people. I can relate to them because I've been there where they're going to be. There's a second story. It's, it's the story of Thomas. Thomas is another disciple. We don't know as much about him as we do about Peter because it seems that Thomas, well, he didn't speak as much. But when he did speak, it was dour. Thomas was the Eeyore of the disciples. He was a curmudgeon. He was always seeing the dark side of everything. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was turning back towards Jerusalem in the series that we talked about, he's turning towards Jerusalem and the disciples say, Jesus, no, let's not do that. Let's not go back to Jerusalem. They wanted to kill you when we were there last time and they want to kill you again. Nobody wanted to go back. You know what Thomas said? Oh, let's just go with him and die with him. I mean, I wasn't there, but I guarantee you that's how he said it. It wasn't noble. It wasn't, let's go die with him. It's all right, we might as well go too. Thomas is a, is a wonderful character. <laughs> On another occasion, Jesus was talking about how he's about to leave the earth. And he said, I'm going away. And you know what I'm talking about. You know where I'm going. And Thomas is always the honest, dour, skeptical person. And he says, Lord, we don't know. I'm not going to pretend. That's not me. I can't act like I know when I don't know. We don't know what you're talking about. That's Thomas. Isn't it ironic and appropriate that whenever Jesus makes his first appearance to the disciples following his resurrection, who's not there? Thomas. He missed the first party. I got to think God arranged that. I have to think God arranged that for us. Because in that moment, when Thomas appears to the disciples, after Jesus has gone away, they tell him, we've seen the Lord. They're all telling him the same story. We were all there. He was among us. And Thomas said, that's great. No, he didn't. Thomas said, you know what, fellas? Unless I can stick my fingers into the nail holes in his hand. And unless I can see the holes in his side, I won't believe. Seriously, Thomas? Everybody saw him. 
This is resurrection. This is Jesus back from the dead. And that's all you got to say? That's what I got to say. I won't believe until I can touch his side. You know the rest of the story, right? Jesus shows up again. And by divine providence, he was listening in on the first conversation. (laughs) And he walks among the disciples and he says, You, Thomas, come here a minute. Have a look. Put your finger right there. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, I believe. The third story is Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament. Now think about Paul. He's so different than Peter and Thomas. He didn't walk with Jesus as a disciple. He was trained as an intellectual. He studied God for a living. And when Jesus preached his message and people started to follow and finally he was crucified and reports were that he arose from the dead. Paul was commissioned to stamp out the rumors. The rumors of Jesus rising from the dead. Paul was commissioned to suppress the church to do whatever he could to fix this revolution. And so with his marching orders He brings the sword to Christians everywhere. And on his way to Damascus, he's on his horse. I I think the image is, is remarkable. He's on his horse. He's high above others. He's walking with pride. He's full of intellectual pride and religious pride and moral pride. He's on his horse. While he's on his horse, Jesus makes a resurrection appearance to Paul and knocks him off his horse. He's on the ground. He's smitten by a light. He can't see anything. And he cries out, Who is it that's speaking to me? And Jesus says, It's I. Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He didn't just show up and then disappear. He showed up with a mighty light an incredible power, and knocked Paul off his horse. And before it was over, he said to him, It's Jesus. Notice the nuance. He didn't say it's Christ, the Messiah. He might have. He didn't say it's Son of God, the divine title. He could have. But he used the very human Fleshy word, Jesus. Paul, it's Jesus in the flesh. Paul is stunned. Of course, he loses his sight and 
a wonderful brother named Ananias, trembling with fear because, remember Saul, then named Saul, later Paul, is persecuting the Christians and the Holy Spirit tells Ananias, I want you to go and pray for this man, Saul, and he does. And he says, Brother Saul, receive your sight. His eyes are opened, and he turns, and he follows Jesus. Wow, those are three remarkable stories, aren't they? Stories of faith. But in them, I see my story. At every juncture, I see me. When I look at Peter, I'm that guy. I can be full of myself and full of words and always blabbering on. It's what I do for a job. (laughs) And I can be so remarkably confident when I'm striding like a peacock across the stage, speaking about my faith and challenging yours. And I'm Peter. On any given day, I'm around the fire. On any given day, I want to say, no, not me. No, I don't have exactly that story. But I know that story. Don't you? And I look at Thomas, and I think he too is me. I can't pretend. I'm the kind of person who can't pretend. I frequently am way too honest. And I speak like Peter when I shouldn't speak. And I speak in negative tones and bring other people down around me. I too am Thomas. And I'm Paul. Oh, by the way, Paul was the intellectual. Paul was the guy who had it all figured out. Paul was the man who knew who God was and he knew how to follow. Paul was the one who needed an encounter with Jesus like nobody else did. Did you notice how his encounter came? Whack. You won't hear it any other way, Paul. That's the only way the message will get through. I see myself in all three at different stages in my life. Now, to summarize all three, I want to put it this way. Peter, repentance. You know, at the base of the word repentance just means to turn. To turn away from and to turn toward. Peter turned away from his self-confidence because he knew he didn't have it. Peter turned away from his denial because it crushed him. The rock was pulverized. Peter turned away from his sin and turned towards Jesus Christ. When I think of Thomas, I think of faith. Faith. Simply believe. 
I think of a man who was skeptical and honest. But finally he turned in faith to Jesus Christ. You know, by the way, skepticism is easy. Really easy. But there's absolutely no life in it. Faith is difficult, but with faith, you get life. And when I think of Paul, I think of one word, surrender. As a matter of fact, surrender, that word is the culmination of all three elements of faith in all these people. Paul realizes that the only way for him to move on is to surrender himself to Jesus. I um, was reading this week and ran in again. Nobody's going to be surprised to a story about C.S. Lewis, who when he was a young man was full of skepticism and doubt, full of intellectual pride, and no faith. And he began to listen to the voice of God and to study. And finally he said, and I read his words, you must picture me, he said, alone in that room, Magellan College at Oxford, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had come upon me at last. Finally, I gave in. I surrendered. And admitted that God was God. And knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected, reluctant convert in all of England. You know, conversion, it doesn't need to be a big blare of trumpets. It can be the bowing of a knee, reluctantly surrendering to Jesus Christ. Has that been your story? Have you gotten to the place that it's time to surrender and to give it up? If you haven't, I hope you'll do it today. If you have, you can rejoice with all kinds of rejoicing as we sing this wonderful chorus of the church called the Hallelujah Chorus, remembering Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we thank you for this Easter Sunday morning and all that it means. We thank you, Lord, that we're reminded of it again and again, not just on Easter, but we're reminded of it again and again as believers because the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, our Lord, lives within us. 
And we're reminded of it, Lord, because we see your resurrection power in the life of other people who come to faith in you. And we pray that today, Lord, the scales of someone's eyes will fall off. That today, Lord, you knock someone from their horse. That today, Lord, you will lead someone to surrender to Jesus Christ and to find life. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.